Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, you can always text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. You can find me on social media. You can always interact with me there, except during the show. They get mad at me when I respond to people who text me or direct message me on social media or my phone during the show. So I've had to learn to ignore it all, except for a select few. So just need to give you the lay of the land. Didn't want to start here, but I got inside information. I was on my phone until probably 2 o'clock this morning with different uh, congressmen, staffers, and others about what's happening in Congress. And I did not want to actually begin my show today with more of the Kevin McCarthy soap opera, but it kind of is the biggest news of the day. Therefore, it kind of needs to be dealt with out of the gate. Uh, and, And there are some interesting dynamics at play here. So this is apparently the parameters of the deal. And you should understand before we get into this that it's not a surefire thing. Kevin McCarthy can only lose four votes for Speaker of the House. There are five members who have pledged uh, they will not vote for him under any circumstance. Chip Roy is a longtime friend of mine. He is a congressman from Texas. He had been Ted Cruz's chief of staff. He worked for Rick Perry. Uh, He was the deputy attorney general of Texas for a while. He's now a member of Congress. His his congressional district kind of stretches from San Antonio to Austin. Uh, He is just outside of Austin. He's too conservative for Austin. They redrew his district so he could be safely in this district as a staunch conservative, and he is a conservative's conservative. The McCarthy team says he is, uh, Chip Roy is the only one they trust. They believe Chip Roy actually wants substantive rules changes for conservatives, which is true. He's not in it because he hates Kevin McCarthy. The problem is you have some of these members who are opposing McCarthy who want to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. You have some of them who just want a deal. Chip Roy wants rules changes to the U.S. House, and it appears he may now have the changes he wants. However, I am told not by Chip. I have not, and I want to be clear because I don't want him to get in trouble. He's one person I don't talk to about this stuff because everyone knows we're really good friends. Uh, And whenever I'm in Texas, I see him when they head through to Hilton Head uh, where they've got friends they see, they usually stop at my house. And and so I I don't talk to him about this stuff. And I don't talk to anybody on his staff because I don't want me to say anything on radio and have people listen and say, oh, he must have gotten that from Chip. So I don't talk to him about this stuff. We talk about golf usually, or uh, my loathing of sweet tea, which he regularly texts my wife about and and tells her she should punch me for. Very abusive situation (laughs) in any event. So here's the deal. Um, McCarthy has agreed to a one Republican motion to vacate. So it's not a one-member deal, and a lot of people in the media are saying this will be a one-member deal. In other words, one member of the House of Representatives at any time can move to vacate the chair. That is, 
one member of the House would be able to get rid of the Speaker or at least cause a vote. That's not the way this is going to be structured. It will be one member of the majority in conference would be able to make a motion to vacate the chair in which the conference will vote. And if it fails, it will go, or if it succeeds, it'll go to the floor of the House to get rid of the Speaker. The McCarthy team had refused and said you needed a majority. They whittled it down to five. And at this point, you've got five recalcitrant members. And they're like, what does it matter then? Might as well go with one. So they'll have one. And honestly, it's one of those things. Matt Gates could every day make a motion to vacate the chair if he wants. Probably going to burn bridges for him more than help him. The other thing they're going to do is give the House Freedom Caucus two seats on the Rules Committee. So uh, John Dingell was a longtime Democratic member of the House of Representatives. His wife, Debbie Dingell, took a spot after he died. He had been the longest-serving, oldest member of the House for a very long time there. And John Dingell had a famous saying that if you write the legislation and I write the rules, I'm going to win every time. And it's true. So let me just step back for a moment. Um When I was in college, I was the chief justice of my university. And I wrote the rules for our judicial system at the university. And you had a different uh, courts, one for stuff that happened in dorms, one that happened stuff out of dorms, and then an ad hoc court that would come together for fraternities and sororities. And then it would appeal up to either me by myself or a panel And if it was a panel, then it would come to me by myself, and then ultimately it would go to the dean, and then ultimately to the president of the university. Concurrent to all this, I was also the parliamentarian for the student government, an unelected. It was an appointed position, and I was appointed four years in a row. And I wrote all the legislation for everybody, whether I liked it or not. I got to write all the rules, and then as chief justice got to interpret the rules and tell people how to do stuff, I admit I was somewhat of a dictator. In fact, the week after I graduated from college, uh, the then student government summoned a special meeting and changed the rules so that you couldn't serve as the chief justice of the university and the parliamentarian at the same time. Because I knew how to write the rules for the student government, and then as chief justice knew how to interpret them to get my way every time, though completely never won a student body, never even ran for student government. I knew how to get things done, and I got them done. Even wound up suspending some friends of mine from campus, so former friends of mine uh, wound up suspending them from school. Uh, Didn't go over well with them, but it was the right thing to do. Nonetheless, if you write the rules, you can win the legislative fight. And for years, the Republicans in Congress have refused to allow the hardcore conservatives to sit on the Rules Committee. Now they're considering giving them two seats on the committee. They might actually even give them a third seat or at least a seat to someone who is not in the Freedom Caucus but is close to the Freedom Caucus, possibly Thomas Massey of Kentucky. We don't know who's going to pick the members. We don't know about the haggling. We don't know about the deal, but it appears that McCarthy's going to cave on that, which is something most of the Republicans in Congress don't want him to do. There's also going to be a vote on term limits. Uh, Ralph Northam of South Carolina has insisted on a vote on term limits. He wants a constitutional amendment. It's not going to pass, but he wants them on record. 
The big one, and this is the one that Chip Roy has insisted on. This was his fight. Uh, if you if you heard him live yesterday, I played him while he was live on the floor. Chip Roy's point is that we careen from crisis to crisis, and we wait for the crisis to get here, and then we act. And when we act, we allow leadership to draft the legislation, rush it to the floor, sight unseen, no time to read it and get it done. He wants an open rule, which means there will be 12 appropriation bills. Historically, Congress passed a budget. The budget was divided into 12 portions. It funding the, the different branches of, of the executive branch. There was an appropriations bill for the judiciary, one for uh, the Congress, and then uh, there were 10 others funding the different parts of the rest of the government. And you would debate them, you would amend them, you would call the earmarks out of them or put earmarks in if you needed votes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And back during the Bush administration, when the Republican hold in Congress was getting a little bit tenuous, they started doing these things where they would wait until the last minute. The government was about to shut down. They wouldn't pass the appropriations bills, and instead they would pass a continuing resolution. So since the Bush administration, the government has been funded on a series of continuing resolutions to continue the spending that started in the Bush administration with little different changes over time to now. So you always get these continuing resolutions. They wait until the last minute to pass them. They make them multi-thousand-page bills so that no one has a chance to read them, and they rush them through. They do that with the debt ceiling as well, where they don't actually have a measured, meaningful conversation about spending and, and offsets. They just wait until the debt ceiling arrives and then say, oh, we got to raise it. We got to raise it. You can't you can't delay or we're going to default. And it's full faith and credit of the Constitution at stake. It's going to hurt our bond rating. So the deal includes a promise for standalone votes on each of the 12 yearly appropriations bills. They'd be considered an open rule allowing floor amendments to be offered by any lawmaker, Democrat or Republican. They also want a concession to carve out earmarks in that package in a separate vote. The rules are to be worked out. Here's the problem though. Kevin McCarthy's concessions are angering the moderates of the Republican Party. He's now lost six votes. And he's allowing in these deals the speakership to be neutered. See, this has been my criticism of Kevin McCarthy all along, is that Kevin McCarthy covets the speakership like Gollum coveted the ring. So Kevin McCarthy is willing to do anything to become speaker, even if it means gutting the speakership, getting rid of all of his power just so he can sit in the chair. He's willing to do that. And it's starting to get noticed by moderate members of the Republican Party that in order for McCarthy to get this seat, he's willing to cut deals that might undermine his friends. So for example, Conservatives really want the chairmanship of the House Homeland Security Committee. Dan Crenshaw also wants it. Dan Crenshaw of Texas has been accusing these conservatives of being terrorists. Yesterday, he said they were the enemy, and he needed to fight them like the enemy because they were terrorists. Dan Crenshaw wants that seat. So too the, do the conservatives. And despite Crenshaw, they want McCarthy to give them that seat. If McCarthy gives them that seat, 
then Crenshaw, who has had McCarthy's back the whole way through, is going to be betrayed. What's he going to do? This is the problem with McCarthy as he continues to wheel and deal to get the Speaker's chair. At some point, it becomes not worth having the Speaker's chair when you've given away all of the power. What's also interesting is this should give lie to the idea that uh, you give people money, they'll do whatever you want. 14 of the 20 who are opposing McCarthy got money from his PAC. 14 of them got at least $120,000 in combined contributions. Dan Bishop of North Carolina, Michael Cloud of Texas, Andrew Clyde of Georgia, Byron Donalds of Florida, Bob Good of Virginia, Andy Harris of Maryland, Ralph Northam of South Carolina, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, Matt Rosendale of Montana, and then you've got Anna Polina Luna of Florida, Josh Breachin of Oklahoma, Andy Ogles of Tennessee, Eli Crane of Arizona, and Keith Self of Texas. They all got money from Andy, from, from Kevin McCarthy, and they're voting against him. Andy Biggs, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, Mary Miller, and Chip Roy, they didn't get any money from McCarthy's pack. Chip Royce doesn't matter one way or the other. And as you can see, some of these people got money from him and they're willing to stand up to him, which is actually a good thing, folks. It's actually a good thing. But here's the ultimate problem here for McCarthy now. He's angering now moderates in his compromises to the conservatives. And with the conservatives, they're actually divided. They're divided between those who really want the deal. They want the rules changes. Chip Roy is one of those. He wants these rules changes. He wants an open process where we're not careening crisis to crisis with the leadership forcing legislation down people's throats. That's what Chip Roy wants. But then you have the Lauren Boberts and the Matt Gateses of the world. You have the Paul Gosars of the world. You have the uh, Dan Bishops of the world who they will not vote for McCarthy at all. McCarthy needs, can only lose four votes. Some of these people have said they won't vote for him, but they'll vote present. And if they vote present, that's going to help McCarthy because the present votes don't count. But some of them are still going to vote no. So the conservatives, once they do this, are going to have to get together and figure out what to happen. And the problem for McCarthy is there's going to be a seventh vote today. And he's already telling people he's going to lose it while they continue the deal making. And the weekend is coming and none of these people want to spend the first weekend in January in Washington, D.C. And so you have people like Ken Buck of Colorado saying, if we can't cut a deal today, it's time to put up Scalise. There's no resolution yet. McCarthy's close. The problem ultimately is this, and this is the most fascinating situation here, is that McCarthy could cut so much of a deal with the conservatives, he alienates other parts of his base within the Republican Party. He could cause a revolt on the other side by giving so much to them. And then ultimately still may have them reject him because he is him. A lot of these people simply don't want Kevin McCarthy, and I don't blame them. This is still a situation in play. It's fascinating and historic to watch. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlingBranch.com. That's BowlingBranch, B-O-L-L. 
B-U-L-L-A-N-D-Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Bullet Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that get softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code ERIC. Merry Christmas to you. Today's the last day of Christmas. I got to take the Christmas tree down tonight. There are 12 days of Christmas. This is the last. Tomorrow is Epiphany. And I guess I'll have king cake on the front porch on Sunday night because it will be Mardi Gras season. And, uh, you know, I I think I've decided I'm going to do the dry January thing except on Sunday nights on the front porch. (laughs) Welcome. All right. The phone number 877-973-7425. I got to play this audio from Jake Tapper. Uh, and this, this is a point that needs to be echoed. Let me just turn and just say, like, I know the viewers out there, this probably seems like chaotic and insane, but A, this is democracy. I mean, we, we, we can't pretend that this is, I mean, I think Congressman Gallagher was right earlier today. He said this is messy and democracy is messy. It's a feature, not a bug. That's true. These people are exercising their, their right to do that. And a lot of them, I don't know all of them, but a lot of the 20 rebels are voting the way they're voting because they actually want substantive changes to the rules. Yes. Yes. That's something you have to understand here. Now, listen. I can say this because I've been consistent on this and have never taken the partisan shots at Democrats uh, at times where their conferences descended into chaos. I've said the same thing for them that I will say now. It is, I will acknowledge theirs have far less often descended into chaos, though. But this is part of the process. The founders knew it was going to be a messy process. It's one of the reasons they decided to have regular elections. Uh, James Madison knew that uh, without public opinion polling, you needed to have regular elections. So every two years, the House, which represented the people, had an election. So if there were shifting wins, those wins could be detected and picked up by the populace who could then vote for people. The Senate represents the states, which is why you have elections every six years, because the presumption is the states, over time being larger entities, aren't going to shift so much. But the people, their opinions can change over time. And it gave us stability through the raucous nature of democracy. And it was done to be very transparent. We are a republic But our republic is centered around democratic institutions and republican institutions divided together between the states and the people. That's how we do things. And the House of Representatives represents the people. It is considered a representative democracy, not a direct democracy. And it's supposed to be messy. The House of Representatives historically has done stuff like this. There's a reason no one's using the word unprecedented here. It may not have happened for exactly 100 years, but it has happened. And in a closely divided House of Representatives, you would expect it to happen more than in a House of Representatives where one party is really dominant. It's actually to Nancy Pelosi's credit and power that with a very small minority or with a very small majority of the House of Representatives with her, uh, they didn't have as many fights 
The difference between the two is that uh, a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Matt Gates, they don't have to be in the majority to fundraise in grandstand. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib understand they got to be in the majority to get things done. When you're just obstructing, you don't have to be in the majority. Therefore, it was less unstable on the Democratic side. But that doesn't mean it wasn't unstable. This is part of the process. They have things they want. They're taking advantage of the system. They should not be condemned for using the process to their favor. It's the way the process was designed. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. Nationwide, more than happy to have you. We got to move on to other News. I got. I mean, I feel like we really are in Groundhog Day with this McCarthy stuff. Every day is the same thing. We're expecting more votes today. They intend to convene the House unless he's dissuaded from doing so. Uh, but there are other issues. For ever, for the last few years, everyone has been wringing their hands about climate change global warming, you name it. And it's a bad thing, you know. It's 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 just a bad, bad thing. Except it may be saving our economy now. Ah, yes. From the Wall Street Journal, natural gas prices plunge as unseasonably warm weather is forecast. Cost is down more than half from the summer highs. A sudden thaw across the Northern Hemisphere has melted down natural gas prices, upending dire forecasts of energy shortages and sinking Vladimir Putin's plan to squeeze Europe this winter. It isn't expected to remain as balmy as it was on Wednesday when temperatures hit 66 degrees Fahrenheit in New York, but the forecast that energy traders monitor call for abnormally warm weather extending into February, sapping demand for the heating fuel. U.S. natural gas futures for February delivery ended Wednesday at $4, uh, 1.72 per million British thermal units. That's down 57% from the summer highs, notwithstanding a 4.6% gain on Wednesday that snapped a four-season losing streak, including an 11% drop on Tuesday. The price is now about the same as it was a year ago when temperatures were warmer than normal and before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That's a key point here. The media obsesses about global warming and climate change. Major media outlets around the world are now funded by climate zealots who get these media institutions to hire climate reporters to report nonstop doom and gloom to persuade you that you must abandon your lifestyle. But because of warm weather in this winter season, it is sparing Europe from massive deaths due to Russian embargoes on of uh, heating oil and natural gas. It is sparing the American economy. It has driven down natural gas prices, which has driven down overall energy prices, which is driving down the prices of produce and, and meat at the grocery store, which is helping you and me. And it's climate change. It's climate change causing it. Not only that, the warmer weather has extended growing seasons. 
The South got hit with that, whatever they call it, winter bomb or whatever it is, the winter storm. Temperatures in my house, we actually had no water pipes in our house bust over Christmas where it never got above freezing. For three days in a row in middle Georgia, never got above freezing. But the P-trap for our upstairs air conditioner froze. There was water in it, and it froze in the attic. And it cracked, and a couple of days ago, during the actually during the Georgia game on uh, New Year's Eve night, water started dripping through the ceiling into our TV room upstairs, and it was because that thing had, had frozen over and cracked during the, the, um, during the cold weather. But that was it. Easy fix. I got to repaint the ceiling though, but nonetheless, a lot of people had a lot of damage all over the South because of it. One thing that that really cold weather helped is the peach crop. See, peaches actually need some really cold weather. If you have mild winters, peach trees don't do so well, but they had a really cold burst of cold uh, right when they needed it. And that's going to help the peach crop. Moderate mild weather though, right now helps a lot of people and helps the economy. And that is a good thing. So many of these people, people are, are out there recirculating clips of Paul Ehrlich. I, I talked about Paul Ehrlich the other day. Paul Ehrlich is the man CBS News decided to interview and make kind of a voice for all of its climate change nonsense and its population doom and gloom and saying we're in the next mass extinction. This is Paul Ehrlich on television in 1970. Listen to this. Now, uh, given the population explosion, let alone in this country, what can the government, what ought the government to do about this? Well, what it ought to do is this. The first thing, you want, you don't want to put, I, I'm against government interference in our lives. You want to minimize that. So the very first thing the government should do is try and take the pressure off to reproduce. There's a lot of pressure in our society now to reproduce. If you're single, people try and push you into getting married. You know, uh, you, your wife, you have a, a, a bachelor over and your wife says, gee, shouldn't I have a nice girl over? The idea is, you know, nobody should escape. So there's pressure to get married. Young couples, if they don't have children, people say, gee, they must be sterile. They never say, gee, maybe they like uh, good wine and going to the theater and so on. They prefer that to scraping diapers. So there's pressure to have children. So the first thing that should happen is that the president ought to say, from now, here on out, no intelligent, patriotic American family uh, ought to have more than two children, preferably one, if you're starting a family now. Not, not any law, but just say this is what responsible people do. He ought to make the FCC see to it that large families are always treated in a negative light on television wherever they appear. There ought to be a tremendous amount of television time devoted to spot commercials, the sort we've had against smoking. Uh, but the ones in the middle, say, in the middle of Beverly Hillbillies, you get a scene which shows Los Angeles in the smog, and it just says this city has a fatal disease. It's called overpopulation, and so long. Uh, now, that sort of campaign, you could, you could have a census, a sample census, which would see whether that was having a desired effect. If that didn't, you could move to giving women bonuses for not having babies. That almost certainly would do the job. If that didn't have the effect, then you could move to changing the tax structure uh, so that people who had the money and had the children paid for the children. In other words, you would increase taxes on people with children rather than decrease them, since they, when they have the children, they require more services. If that doesn't work, uh, then you'll have the government legislating the size of the family. And people say, oh, that's impossible. Government can never intrude and tell you how many children to have. Well, I got news. You know, it intruded a long time ago and told you how many wives you can have. Uh, and there's not the slightest question that if we don't get the population under control with voluntary means, that in the not-too-distant future, the government will simply tell you how many children you can have and throw you in jail if you have too many. That was Paul Ehrlich. The man CBS News trotted out the other day, Paul Ehrlich, by the way, you should know, on Twitter the other day, uh, said he never made uh, basic mistakes. Paul Ehrlich actually said uh, the world would end in 1979. Gave a very precise date. That's when the world would end. That's when the world would end.
Um, and this is a man who wants to set policy. This is a man who has the ear of the left, which has the ear of the media, which shapes the content of our news. You want one of the most ridiculous stories of the day on this? This is an actual headline in the Washington Post. Climate change puts more women at risk for domestic violence. That's right. The world is heating. It means more women are going to get smacked around or some such. Pilot Lena Guani covers her mouth as she speaks. She's trying to hide her broken tooth. A bitter reminder of all she endured before finding refuge at a shelter for abuse survivors in northern Kenya. The mother of three arrived here in July after being forced from her home by escalating violence. Her husband was abusive even before the drought. So he was abusive before the drought. But when the family 68 cattle died, the abuse became impossible to bear. The cattle died because of drought. The drought was because of climate change. Therefore, climate change is causing spousal abuse. Climate change is, of course, also causing the proliferation of strippers. That's right. As it gets hotter outside... Women put on less clothing. As they put on less clothing, they're more likely to think, nah, I can do stripping for a living, and therefore climate change causes strippers. If climate change causes domestic violence, the same freaking chain of events and, and theories because of the, even though this, I mean, it literally, the story starts with a woman whose husband was abusive well before the drought. But then he became more abusive through a series of unfortunate events, including all their cattle dying. Therefore, it's the climate change that did this. For these and many other women around the world, the threat of violence could become more common as climate change makes extreme weather events more intense and frequent. Scientists have long warned that climate change disproportionately impacts the poorest and most vulnerable. <laughs> Women and the poor hit hardest by climate change. That's the way it always is. Whatever it is. The rocket failed to land on Mars. Women, children, and the poor hit hardest. Because the rocket landed on them, of course. I, I, this, this, is, this is where we are now. This is a, a, a religious cult-like uh, situation. You, you know what this reminds me of? In mythology, Greek mythology. So uh, I, I've, I've mentioned this before. Why is the Narcissus flower, why does it grow along streams? You know what the Narcissus flower is? looks like the little white daffodil. Beautiful little flower. Well, Narcissus was actually a prince who was in love with himself, who one day saw his reflection in a stream uh, in Greece, and he lasted so long just staring lovingly at himself, the gods took pity on him, and he grew roots, and they turned him into the flower by the side of the bank, and that's why the Narcissus grows by the bank, always looking down at itself, at its reflection in the, in the water. This is the same thing with this. Why are women smacked around by abusive evil men? Because of climate change. Why is why 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 is there there are too many people in the world because of climate change? 
why is there a forest fire because of climate change? Not not because of not because of forest policy, not because of forest management. Nope, it's climate change. Why is there no snow in the summer? Climate change. Why is there snow in the winter? Climate change. Why did it get cold over Christmas? Bursting the pipes, the stream weather event. Climate change. California is about to get, I'm not making this number up. I am not making this number up. 29 trillion cubic inches of water. 29 trillion cubic inches of water is what, I'm sorry, no, uh, 22.4 trillion gallons of water, not cubic inches. Yeah, I'm not making this up. This is the actual story. I, I actually underestimated it. I, I thought, gosh, that, that seems too high. I must have gotten the number wrong. Nope, I've got the story right here. The California uh, bomb, whatever it is, the, 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 the the massive storm that's headed towards California, 22 trillion, 400 billion gallons of water is going to pour out on California in the next 15 days. That should actually solve the Lake Mead problem, except it's not going to get over the mountains. It's going to flow to the Pacific. And do you know in California, they can't build any new reservoirs. The environmentalists have prohibited them from building new reservoirs. And as a result, because they can't build the new reservoirs, they could house a lot of this water for hard times, and they won't because of the environmental opposition to the reservoirs. California is going to get 22 trillion 400 billion gallons of water, and that's a conservative estimate of what's coming. And it's all going to wash off and go away into the ocean because they don't have any reservoirs available to house it uh, beyond the ones existing. They'll all fill up, and the spillover won't have any great impact otherwise because of the environmentalists who were freaked out about climate change. And now they'll blame climate change for all the flooding and disaster when if they had better land and water management policies in California by ignoring the environmentalists, they wouldn't have any of these problems. But let's not let facts stand in the way of mythology. Good grief. Now, where were we? Jim, where are we going? Eden Pure, that's right. Sorry, I got wound up on that one, folks. And I'm just, I, look, I got to tell you, I thought 22.4 trillion, it had to be cubic inches. It can't be gallons. No, no, it's gallons. 22 trillion, 400 billion gallons of water. And that's the conservative estimate of what the state of California is going to experience in the next 15 days with a bomb cyclone. They're going to have several of them, a wave of them. Uh, absolutely amazing. In any event, the, the Ian Pure Thunderstorm. So I use this thing. I used this in Las Vegas. When I was out there uh, with Philip, took him for his Christmas present was the hockey game. Uh, you know, sometimes the people in those casino hotels, you say you can't smoke in the rooms, and they might. This thing works. You can plug this thing in, and it just eliminates odors. Pet odors, litter odor, litter box odors, smoke odors. Frying, cooking odors, musty odors. It just wipes them out. You can get three of them. You're upstairs, you're downstairs, your RV, your tent, your, your, your first level, whatever you need it for. It's an air purifier, so it gets rid of the pollen, the mildew, the mold, and all that. But it really, I use it exclusively for wiping out bad odors. I travel with this thing because you can hold it in your hand. And so if I get in a hotel room or a rental car, you can plug it up with a USB cord or directly into the wall, and it just poof, wipes out those odors. Get three of them for less than $200. Makes great gifts, too. Less than $300, less than $200, you hold it in the palm of your hand. It's small, and it packs a wallop. 
EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3 on the front page of that website, the number, not the word three, and you can get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're wiping out odors. You're cleaning the air. You're making it easier to breathe through all the smoke odors and pet odors and the like that are out there. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code ERIC3. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this here program, I would be delighted to have you on the program. Um, have you have you noticed something? In the run-up to the midterms, there was a lot of talk about they should nominate Donald Trump to be speaker. This is his way back into the presidency. You put Trump in as speaker, you impeach Biden and Harris, and boom, next in line is Trump. Now, I've been telling people the whole time it wouldn't happen because we take two-thirds vote of the Senate, and even if the Republicans were to win it back, they wouldn't get a two-thirds vote. They wouldn't do it. But I had people call this program last year very adamant. This is Trump's path back to power now. Uh, make him Speaker of the House and then do this. Matt Gates from Florida has just voted for Donald Trump for Speaker of the House. It totally discredits, I got to say, the, the seriousness of the side of the 20. It does give ammunition for those who say it's a clown show, and I think you got to admit that. But notice also it's it's not really a thing. There's been no movement to make Donald Trump Speaker of the House. According to the Constitution, you do not have to be a currently elected member of the House to be the Speaker of the House. However, it's never been done because members of the House kind of understand they shouldn't do that. You should not put someone in a speaker who is not accountable to the voters. They want a speaker there who's one of them, so they're accountable to the institution and to voters as well. I just, I find it very notable. The other thing I find very notable is the conservative organizations out there. I think that the Heritage Foundation, the Club for Growth, the Conservative Partnership Institute, um, all of these great groups out there working together on this are a good thing and a sign of the conservative movement really stepping forward again. Um, it, it, the Center for Renewing America is led by Russ Vote. He's been one of the loudest voices out there, a dear friend of mine, on trying to oppose McCarthy. Uh, he's been helping these folks run a war room, strategizing this out to great success. Having Kevin Roberts at the Heritage Foundation come out with a statement um, is sympathetic to the conservatives. Listen, I understand the heavy institutional lift at the Heritage Foundation for the head of the Heritage Foundation to be able to put out a statement like that. I can't tell you how much I appreciate Kevin Roberts being willing to stand up and say, uh, we got to listen to these conservatives. It is a very big deal that he was able to do this. It was a great deal for Russ Vote to come out and take a strong stand. It was a great deal for the Club for Growth to come out and, and try to force some compromises from McCarthy. It's nice to see the conservative movement firing on all cylinders, not just for Donald Trump, but for conservatives as a whole nationwide advancing sound policy for small government. Thank you to all of them. 